Let's just pray. I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm going to ask you to uh, join me in praying for Kate, and then I'm going to ask you to join me in praying for you. Okay? Mostly for you. <laughs> Kate has the, responsi- the responsibility of communicating what God's put on her heart, and I know how that, that is. But the other side of the coin is that you have the responsibility for hearing. You know, I was reading in Mark. He says, be careful what you hear. Because you become accountable for what you hear. You don't want to be just hearers of the word, but doers. Lord, we just thank you that your anointing rests on Kate. Your truth. Holy Spirit, you're the one who leads us into truth. And so we have an expectation today of hearing your voice through her voice. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? Lord, we pray for ourselves that our hearts would be open, our ears would be open, our eyes would be open, even as we sang, to see the things unseen, that we'd see the truth, and that we'd be able to respond. Thank you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. My name's Kate. I'm married to Tim. And we've got two girls, and we've been delighted to be part of this since its beginning. Uh, But what I want to talk about today is something that God has been on from the beginning in this group of people and what he's doing here at Redemption Hills. And that's about this thing about the life of God. So I want to talk today about being spiritually alive. And this is something that God's been working on in me for a couple of years. So I have an upfront confession to make. This is the first time in my life that I have ever recycled a sermon. (laughs) So this is actually 18 months old for me, but it is something that hasn't left me. It's been churning away and it's been evolving and growing into what God is doing right here and right now. Um, So if you've been here a little while, you will have noticed that um, God is saying a lot about bringing life back to us through his spirit um, and back to this city and to the people of it and to the church in this city uh, through Ezekiel 37. But what God's been working on in me over the years um, comes from John chapter 11. So please bear with me. I had a little freak out. Um, because my Bible, I forgot my glasses and it's tiny, which is one. But the other thing is it's an NIV. We know that Russ likes to preach from the New King James. And I was like, should I switch versions just so I seem more legit? Then I decided that was just like pretending. So (laughs) this is what we get today. That was up front, wasn't it? Appearance appearance management. It's my folly. It's a long story, so so bear with me. Now a man named Lazarus was ill. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose Lazarus now lay ill, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is ill. When he heard this, Jesus said, this illness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. I'm just going to skip that bit. They have a bit of a discussion about whether they should go back or not because people are trying to kill him and it's a little bit tense. Um, And then the disciples are a little bit confused. Verse 11. After he said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. 
Jesus had been speaking of death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. If I were a disciple, I would be a little bit slow on the uptake as well, so I don't feel bad for them. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so you may believe, but let's go to him. Then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Don't you think Thomas gets a bad rap, doubting Thomas? Yeah, he's the one who says, okay, well, if we die, we die. We're going with him. So, you know, doubt and faith can coexist. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord Martha said to Jesus, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who, has come, who is to come into the world. After she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, and noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was, she saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. When the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odour, for he's been there four days. I was talking to a friend this week and the King James Version says, but Lord, he stinketh. (laughs) Another reason why we're going with the NIV today. Stinketh is a very hard word to say in a microphone. (laughs) Verse Verse 40, then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth round his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. So first thing this morning... Becoming spiritually alive happens within the context of a personal relationship with Jesus. I'm a little bit of a storyteller, so hence you get a big long story, but also wrapped up in this is a story of mine. Um, So you will forgive my self-indulgence. I know that there are many other stories that you have, which as we get to know each other, I know that are going to come out and we're going to enjoy sharing those with each other and doing that journey. But this part of a story happened to Tim and I maybe two, two years ago, a bit, bit earlier than that, but um, we found ourselves unexpectedly pregnant um, again after we'd given away all the things <laughs> and had our family of four set. Um, we had a little surprise and that 
Um, I had to get my head around that a little bit because all those things that you think of when you find yourself in that situation, like, where are we going to put another person? And you start rearranging furniture in your head and what am I going to do about maternity leave? And you start to put the timing together of the calendar and all those things. And it took us maybe three, four weeks to really get our head around this. We were actually quite in a bit of shock. Um, So we finally come to terms with this, that perhaps God did want us to be a family of five. Um, Quite delighted with that. And then I developed some complications in early pregnancy. So this thing just just messed with my head, you know, that um, somehow this thing had happened. God knew it was going to happen. And now there were complications and I'd got used to the idea and now it was being taken away and all of the mental gymnastics that go on inside your head. And I'd I'd been to the doctor and pretty much they'd said, um, sorry, it's too early to tell what's going to happen. It's inconclusive. You're just going to have to wait and see. But they'd sent me for some tests and I was walking up the street after going to these tests and I walked past a gift shop on my way back to my car. Um, And I maybe walked 20 metres past it and I felt God say, kind of stop me, say go back and buy a toy. Um, And in that moment, like, actually, if this goes badly, I'm going to be the idiot left holding a toy. I'm not going to do that. Took three more steps and go back and buy a toy. And just that moment where um, you take a risk on obedience. It's like, well, I actually do believe the Spirit of God is saying this. So I turned around, went back to the gift shop, put a little floppy-eared stripy bunny, not sure whether it was boy or girl, all those sorts of things. And that was a horrible moment because the lady in the store, is this a gift? Um, being a lovely shop assistant and inside I'm dying. Um, so I buy this toy and I go home feeling like a little bit of a dork, so I hide it away, not really knowing what, what this toy's about. And I think there's defining moments in our lives where we can truly exchange a transaction with God for an authentic interaction. So sometimes we can go through life experiencing our relationship with God as a set of transactions. So I behave like this, I use these words, I pray this way, I act in this way, and God is going to do these things. It's like a big giant cosmic ATM. (laughs) And the problem with that in so many ways is that it's based on our actions. Russ said that a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know, that God's authority and power is not based on us and what we do. It's him. But if you listen to the narrative of that, based on my actions, I will get this reward. It sounds a lot like religion. And we wonder why our relationship with God can feel a little bit stuffy or dull or a bit fake. Um, And it's because if we treat people the way we need to, to get a certain result, it's not actually a relationship at all. It's a business transaction. And if God is only going to act in accordance with us, the result of that is that we can't risk being truly authentic in our relationship with him because it's not going to look like faith. It doesn't fit into the equation of us doing all the right things to get God to act this way. So we can't risk being sad or angry or confused or doubtful because those things don't fit into the equation of God giving us what we want. But what happens if we're not truly authentic in our relationship with Jesus is that it's not really a relationship at all. 
and we wonder why it feels a little dead. And what I love about John 11, it's a window into what an authentic friendship with Jesus looks like. So there's a couple of times in that passage, so this is John who's writing this, who was an eyewitness and one of the disciples, but he says twice, this is, you know, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, who Jesus loved. So it's this widely known fact that this family is loved by Jesus. They've got like this tight relationship. So what does it look like to have this authentic relationship with Jesus? Well, I see in those verses that there's no insecurity of the affection or the love that they have for each other. So they say that very clearly. This is Lazarus that Jesus loved. It says, because of his love for Mary and Martha and Lazarus, he waited where he was and then went. There's no doubt that they're tight. The second thing about an authentic friendship is that that's where they went to for help. So who do you pick up the phone when you've had a shocker? (laughs) Who do you pick up the phone and ring when you've locked yourself out of the house? Should you ever do that on a regular basis? (laughs) Who would that person be? Usually the person that you can risk being a bit of a dork with, you know. You've locked yourself out of the house again, Kate, really? This is why you have a spare key, remember? (laughs) And it's the person that you can risk having the tough conversations with. Both Mary and Martha, the first thing they said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. The thing about tough conversations is that sometimes we think we're protecting the relationship by not having them. If we go there, if we say the tough things, if we ask the hard questions, if we let it get messy and raw and be out of control, we're going to destroy the relationship. So we appearance manage ourselves before God and each other too, really. It starts with God. The problem with unsaid things is they actually destroy authentic relationship. They destroy intimacy because you end up having blocks to your heart. It's like you can come into this part of my life but this part of my life you have to stay out of. And then you end up not really having an authentic relationship at all because it's based on some kind of fakeness and pretense. So an authentic friendship with Jesus means that you have to have the tough conversations with him. If you had only been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Now, I don't know if she said it that way. (laughs) I'm saying it like that because that's how I said it. You know, if you had shown up, this wouldn't have happened. And there's a moment there where I knew that I could stuff what had just happened to me under the carpet and I wouldn't have lost my faith. I would have kept serving Jesus. It goes deeper than that. But the depth of relationship I had with Jesus would have taken a hit. There would have been a little fake corner of pretending in there somewhere. And I didn't want that, actually. I felt like this was something that God was doing in my life that was calling out a part of my life where I was a little bit fake. So there was a a moment a few days after where I had to take a deep breath, say, okay, God, what was with the toy? (laughs) You told me to do this. I felt like you said it. I did it. Where's my baby? And that was my moment of the tough conversation. If if you'd been here, if you showed up, this wouldn't have happened. And there are going to be many more moments in my life like that, I'm sure. (laughs) Anyone who's lived on earth for any moment of time has moments where, like, well, you know, if you were real, if you really loved me, you would have shown up. Let's be honest. 
So that's the prayer I prayed. What was with the toy? I obeyed you. Why didn't I get the answer I want? And this is the answer I felt God say in my heart. I felt like he said, you did obey and I'm so proud of you. I was looking for a transaction. I wanted the miracle, but what I actually got was an interaction with the Father. And I'm not diminishing any loss. All the size of losses, I'm not comparing those stories, I'm not going down any particular path of loss or grief or things that happen to us. I'm not sitting on that today, but the genuineness of what I experienced was that that interaction with Jesus for me has not been a consolation prize. It's not um, a nod to the silver lining of the cloud that was something horrible that happened. And that's how we speak about it sometimes. You know, well, God didn't do this, but um, they're in heaven. Or but, you know, I know that I learnt something through it. Sometimes we treat it like that and it has this consolation prize effect on us. And I think that's part of the struggle that we have is that we struggle for our disappointment and our grief to coexist with our faith. And that's probably true if it's a transaction because grief and disappointment and the messy stuff doesn't fit into that neat equation of getting God to do what you want. But it does fit into a relationship and a friendship with Jesus. There is plenty of room for the messy stuff in something that's authentic. See, obedience to God, acting in faith, doesn't require the absence of troubling emotions. I don't see that in the Bible. I don't see it in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, Jesus have all that anguish. It's all there, all the emotion. And yet, not my will, but your will be done. Those two things are completely fine to be side by side. It's messy, it's hard, but it's real. And I don't see it in John 11. You know, all through that story, you get this glimpse that Jesus knew exactly what he was going to do. It says, because he loved Mary, Martha and Lazarus, he stayed where he was two more days. He did it on purpose so that people would see that he was the son of God. He said, I'm doing this so you've got grounds to believe. And so that we have this now. Thousands of years later, we have this evidence that he was who he said he was. And you don't see the absence of the mess. John 11.35, shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Now, when I hear the word wept, I don't see, you know, the type of pretty crying with the pretty Jesus with the blow-dried hair that you see in the movies where one single tear slides down. And it's a moment. I hear the word wept and I think messy. I think snot. I think no words coming out, choked neck, shoulders up, blotchy red face. Like, it's, it's messy crying. It's ugly. That's what I hear when I hear the word wept. If Jesus can do that, so can we. Okay. He is everything. The, the image of the invisible God. So why do we think that it offends him so if we are not like that? If we're not authentic with, who, with what's going on and who we are? And, you know, I find um, in times of loss and goodbyes and disappointments how much um, we pull out Romans 8.28. Do you know that one? I'll find it. I had a bookmark that I dropped, but... Tiny Bible. 
which is, and we know all things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, have been called according to his purpose. Don't we love to pull that one out when something horrible happens? And it's not wrong to do that, is it? It's the word of God. There's, there, that is a powerful, amazing verse right for those moments. It's under a lovely section called present suffering and future glory. What I find our problem with that verse is, is not that it's there or not that we're using it in the wrong situation, but our understanding of the word good. If God is working in all things for the good of those who love him. But the problem with the word good is what we really hear is comfort or success. So something's going wrong, we apply this verse and we have this image in our head that that means that all of these things that are happening now in a few months' time, it's going to look like some kind of victorious rising from the ashes (laughs) and we're going to have this amazing testimony to tell. So we're waiting for the transaction. We love God. He's supposed to work out our difficulties into this eventual victory. And then we get up and we testify, this is what God did, he did something amazing. Um, and you know, I'd prefer to tell the story of my miracle baby, quite frankly, and I'm, I'm pretty sure you'd rather hear it. Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that raise our faith? But that's not what happened, I lost it that weekend. Um, but hiding our losses from each other and ourselves and God is not authentic and it can't be a relationship. So that part of us starts to die. There's a spiritual death that comes upon us when we're inauthentic with God. It gets shut down, numbed down. And sometimes we think this walking around speaking uber positive words. <laughs> it's like this little magic spell, isn't it? We treat faith a little bit like magic. We can walk around, say the right combination of words over our situation, especially with people who are asking us on a Sunday. <laughs> yeah. God's got it under control. Well, he does. But, you know, there's this level of speaking it out that he won't act if we don't. We're fearful that he won't do the right things if we don't act in the right way. And it's a transaction and there's no life in it. So where is the life? Where is our spiritual life? Well, if we go there... Our relationship with God might get messy, but it might get real. And so what is the good that this verse is talking about? What is all these things working together for the good? What is the good? If it's not success, if it's not some kind of comfort and everything working out, what is it? A little bit later on in that, it says... We know all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What if the good of all these things working together is not actually our external circumstances, but it is being conformed into the image of Jesus? And... What if it is many brothers and sisters? The kingdom flow on effect of God's life in us, flowing out despite the mess. And in John 11, he says, Jesus says a couple of times what his purpose is, what the good is in what's going on around them. Verse 4. 
says, this illness will not end in death, it's for God's glory, so God's son might be glorified through it. Verse 16. No, verse 15. And for your sake I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. Verse 42. So he says it three times. This is for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. God's good for us is a relationship with him, an authentic relationship with him. That is the very best good he wants for us and we're ever going to get. Because an authentic relationship with him, it brings us alive. That's our spiritual life. There is no greater that he can want for us than to be alive in him. That's the good, for him to be glorified in us. Second thing, becoming spiritually alive comes with a revelation of who Jesus really is. So Martha believes. You hear her say that. I believe. I believe you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Um, But she has this thing. It's like, well, if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died, but you weren't. Even now, I know that you can do some things, but there's this confusion and I have faith, but I have questions going on. And sometimes that happens to us as well. You know, she has this full revelation of the Messiah, but sometimes our revelation of Jesus is a little bit um, limited. So we have manger Jesus. We like manger Jesus. He comes out at Christmas. He's a baby. Um, And then sometimes we have heaven Jesus, and he's amazing. He's got, you know, a rainbow horse and has a white robe and sings and is in the clouds and stuff. Um, Sometimes we have bad Bible movie Jesus. I've already talked about him, you know, with the perfect blow-dried hair. And he likes to be very calm and serene and walk very slowly everywhere he goes. People like him because he's calm. Um, Sometimes we have best friend Jesus. Bit of a mate. Sometimes we have good role model Jesus. He's nice too because he teaches children not to lie. (laughs) Obey their parents, stuff like that. We like him. He's good. Uh, sometimes we have on the cross Je- Easter Jesus. So the one who does forgive our mistakes, and we like him too because he's an insurance policy against future mistakes, future dumb things I'm going to do. Easter Jesus has got it. <laughs> That's not who he is, though, is it? He says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Present tense, right now, he is the resurrection and the life. Right now, he's already the resurrected king. The Jesus that we have now, he's not on the cross anymore. He's not a baby anymore. He is the resurrected king. Present tense. So a relationship with someone like that has to be present tense. We can't have this hope of heaven as our full expression of our friendship with Jesus. So I'm just living life here now, but one day I've got Jesus in heaven, so we're sweet. The present tense Jesus... A relationship with him, it has to be right now because he is, I am, resurrection life. So it has to be right now. There has to be something going on between you and him right now. And it has to be life because he is life. There's got to be a reality to it where it's living and organic and something's happening. And thirdly, becoming spiritually alive is being resurrected in Jesus. Now, I would have said before this season of my life, that I loved Jesus desperately. I I followed Jesus. Um, But there were parts of my personality and my spirit that were kind of shut down, kind of dead. I actually told people I was even-tempered. I prided myself on not being a super reactive person. Actually, what I was was a little bit of an emotional basket case who just didn't go there. 
by a little bit of denial. That was my coping mechanism for life. Denial. Um, that numbness and that shutting down, putting in a box. You know, in my work with um, kids who've experienced trauma and grief, I often draw this picture of a little treasure box for them. I said, well, sometimes your brain is like a little lockbox. So it's super handy, because what happens is something really scary and really terrible happens, and your brain freaks out and says, that's a bit overwhelming. All of these big emotions rise up, and your brain helps you out by shutting a lid on it and just keeping it there so you can get up, get your wheat bix put your school uniform on and just, you know, carry on for a few more days. But we can keep that lid on forever. Many people do. And I say to the kids, but what happens is you end up having this weird feeling that you're walking around a little bit like a robot. That there's a little bit of your personhood that's like your person is gone, you're just doing the stuff. Said that little lockbox, that is a gift from heaven for the short term. It's to get you through those first couple of days and weeks. But it's not a long-term solution. You have to open that box. You've got to have those tough conversations. Because you can't selectively numb negative emotions. You can't just put away the yuck stuff that we don't want to deal with. If you put a lid on things, you're putting a lid also on joy, excitement, courage, risk-taking. Um, there's just something in your eyes that people know that you're fully present and fully alive or you can be like a little bit of a robot. Um, and you know, I think, when you're really alive and you know when it feels a little bit surreal, like you're just walking around in a dream. See, even if you are hurting, even if you're in the middle of the situation or if it's a past situation that you're reluctant to revisit for obvious reasons, um, you can be fully alive and still fully hurting at the same time. So in the few days after we lost the baby, um, you know, I'm here in this story and I'm like, I'm Mary, I'm Martha, I'm having this conversation with God. If you just showed up, you know, this wouldn't have happened. Like, there I am. So obvious. And I just felt God to say to me, uh-uh, you think that's who you are. You're Lazarus. So it's Jesus alone who has the power, the authority and the desire to call out life out of the dead parts of us that we've shoved in that little cave. You know, and sometimes it's creativity, sometimes it is a part of your personality that's been underappreciated, um, that you've put a little lock on. You know, sometimes it's life with God, you've just put it to the side because it doesn't fit what's going on, something, sometimes it's something that someone's criticised in you or something that's just been too hard. You put it in the cave, put, a, put the rocker in front of it. But it's his call. It's his call. He can, at any moment, with all his power and authority, say, come out, Lazarus. And if we have that authentic relationship with Jesus... If we have this revelation that he is the king of kings and resurrected and all power and all glory. And if he's the one speaking over us, just bringing, bringing back that spiritual life coming back to us. And God has said over and over and over again since we started this journey with this church and this group of people, Ezekiel 37, that is the spirit that breathes life into dead bones. It's Jesus who brings the life back. Um, and I really believe that that's something that he wants to do. And I was telling Tim all of this stuff 
um, in that week after we lost the baby, I'm like, eh, I read this and then it's uh, really Lazarus and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, you have to listen to this song. So he got his phone out and um, it was resurrecting. We've sung it a couple of times here and I know it's a couple of years old now, but it's like in that week to have that song after this and this and there's like all this thing, I'm like, oh, someone wrote me a song. It felt like someone wrote me a song. Um, but there is that sense right now in this church that's what God's doing that his, his resurrection power is bringing out those things in us where we need to come alive in him. And it's only in him. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way to God but through him. No other way. Only through an authentic relationship with him. So we are going to get the guys up. We are going to sing it. I don't know what you need to do in this moment, whether there's a tough conversation you need to have. Or maybe it's actually just a willingness, one step into the willingness of having the tough conversation later. Maybe that's the step that you can take today. It's like, okay, at some point (laughs) soon, I'm going to go there. I'm going to have that conversation. It might be that you are ready to do that today. It might be that one of those shut down things that has happened in your life, there's an aspect of your life that's been shut down that God's calling out right now. And you'll feel it, you know, there's these songs that we're singing. It's your breath in our lungs. It's your fire inside my veins. There's, there's a light that comes when God's life is coming in us. Um, and he can do that. And I think he wants to do that. And I'm just going to finish with this. But as I was preparing this this week, and um, I just felt especially that God was doing something in creative people. Um, So musicians and painters and writers who have put that aside for a while or it's been dormant, things that have been dormant and put in the cave with a rock over it for a while. Um, It might be actually operating in the spirit that has been dormant for a while. Um, It might be community life, investing in a group of people in a church community that has been dormant for a long time. Um, That there are things that God's calling out today. um, And I think it's especially over creatives and musicians and stuff. So that might be you. Um, We're just going to respond to God now. We're just going to sing this together. There might be ministry afterwards. I'm not sure where this is going to go, what God's going to do. Which is exciting. (laughs) but we're just going to let Jesus do the calling out.